Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 352 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Revelation 14 today and our focus is big. Who is the beast in the book of Revelation part 2? What is the mark of the beast and what in the world does 666 mean and who does it identify? Well, hey, today's going to be a bit of a long podcast, but it's going to be uh, fascinating, not because of anything I've got to say, but because the topic we're talking about is just so utterly interesting and gripping. First, I do want to welcome new listeners in Perth, Australia, Accra, Ghana, Nandi, Kenya, Manipur, India, Parts Unknown, Finland and Philippines and Spain, Westphalia, Germany, Salinas, Los Angeles and San Francisco, California, New York, New York, Austin, Texas, Akron, Ohio, Baltimore, Maryland, Davenport, Iowa, and Cheyenne, Wyoming. Our goal is to encourage you to listen and understand and obey the Bible on a daily basis, and we get to that goal by reading the Word of God and discussing it. Do want to point you to our website page. It is Bible2021.com, Bible2021.com. Every episode of this podcast, all 352 of them so far, has its own transcript as a blog entry on Bible2021.com. So as I said, mind-blowing passage today, and I'd feel like I was doing pretty well if I genuinely understood like 10% of it, right? Lots of heavenly voices, angelic activity, and the reaping of the earth, which also seems to be metaphorically connected with the separation of the sheep and goats that we see in Jesus's parable in Matthew 25, 31-46. The good grapes are harvested to heaven by the sickle of either Jesus or an angel like Jesus, which is kind of a parallel to the sheep in that Matthew 25 parable. And the bad grapes are harvested next and thrown into the wine press of the fury of the Lord in a similar way to the goats being thrown away from God in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Terrifying. Yesterday's episode ended with us reading a big chunk of Daniel chapter 7 and noticing how connected Revelation 13 and Daniel 7 were. We pick up that discussion today and we will also discuss the mark of the beast. In Daniel 7, we noticed that Daniel's four beasts all came up out of the sea, as does the first beast in the book of Revelation chapter 13. Each chapter also has a beast that has a leopard-like appearance, and both Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 have a beast with ten horns on their head, the fourth and most frightening beast of Daniel 7, and the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13. There are also mouths that are trash-talking in both chapters. Daniel 7 has a quote little horn on the fourth beast that spoke arrogantly and Revelation 13 features the beast of the sea given a mouth to utter blasphemies. Not an exact match to be sure but definitely really really similar. One more similarity and this one pretty much clinches it for me that both passages are discussing the exact same thing is that in Revelation 13 the beast from the sea is permitted to wage war on the people of God and will be very very successful in that war. Likewise, in Daniel 7, one of the horns on the fourth beast, the little horn, also wages war on God's people and prevails against them for a time. So, the two passages are quite obviously connected and meant to be, and the beasts and the horns seem interrelated as well. So, what can we know about the beast from the sea and the beast from the land? Unfortunately, Revelation 13 doesn't give us a ton of information as to how to interpret this vision of John's, but 
The reason for that may just be because Daniel 7, widely known to John and the Christians of the first century, has already explained a good bit of what John saw, because Daniel in Daniel 7, asks the angel with him for an explanation of the fourth beast and its horns, and this is what the angel says. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the Holy Ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. In other words, three and a half years. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. That's Daniel 7, 23-26. Given this information... I believe it would be reasonable to believe that the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13 is not a human at all, but a kingdom or a country, a group of countries, uh, a coalition maybe, that will have ten kings or presidents or rulers, and then another king, a little but powerful horn, who will arise and take over three of those kings or presidents or rulers. That little fact would seem to indicate that these ten rulers are not rulers necessarily in succession, one president after another, for instance, but ten rulers who are ruling at the same time. Otherwise, it would be difficult for one king or leader to rise up and take over for three other king or rulers. This could seem to indicate that the beast from the sea is a conglomeration of countries, like I said, maybe with ten presidents or rulers, and That's speculation. It's not necessarily rampant, wild-eyed speculation. It definitely could fit within the scriptural narrative quite neatly, but know that it is speculation nonetheless. There are other solutions to this problem, maybe ones we don't even see yet. Why is it a beast from the sea? Well, a possibility is that this refers to the kingdom being across the ocean from John. Maybe like a different continent, like the Americas, or Asia, or Africa, perhaps. Now, what about the beast from the land, the second beast in the Revelation 13 that we read yesterday, that has a lambish appearance, but the mouth of a dragon? Well, could this be a kingdom or a union with two rulers? Or is the two horns like a lamb more descriptive of the character of a particular person? And honestly, it's difficult to know. Of the four beasts that are mentioned in Daniel 7, three refer to what appears to be kings or rulers, and one referred to a kingdom or a union of kingdoms, so it could go either way here, which should very much put us in a place of humility and not dogmatism about Revelation. As I've mentioned before, and I will keep saying, I'm quite skeptical of the people who think they have figured out every facet and detail of this book. Such confidence will probably sell books and gain you followers, but it seems really unwarranted, given the fact that Daniel, one of the wisest men in the Old Testament, and who had a guy who had an angel with him to help him understand the visions he was seeing in Daniel 7, at the end of all that, in Daniel 8.27, he concluded with humility... I was greatly disturbed by the vision and could not understand it. Look, if Daniel, who had an angel to help him understand again, 
couldn't understand it, then I suspect that you and I and the guy who is going to write the next best-selling book about the end times will struggle to understand it even more. Let's be humble, folks. Now, let's talk about the Mark of the Beast in 666. Uh, not the DeGarmo and Key song from the 80s or maybe even the late 70s, uh, but the Mark of the Beast and the number 666 in Revelation 13 and 14. Well, before we get into that, we need to actually talk about the Mark of God, which is also in Revelation 7. We've already read it, but I'll read it again just in case you missed it. Verse 2 says, I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, it's likely that Revelation 7 is hearkening back to a vision that Ezekiel had in which he sees God sends out a group sending out a group to bring vengeance on the wicked inhabitants of Jerusalem, all who don't have the mark of God on their head. This seal or mark of God is protective. It prevents those who are sealed from being harmed from punishment that God is sending on the world during Revelation, which itself, it looks back on the blood on the posts of the door during the Exodus as celebrated in Passover, which itself, don't get too confused, Passover looks forward to the shed blood of Jesus covering his people and protecting them from deserved divine judgment. Maybe you can see now why biblical prophecy is a bit complicated, right? Well, take a deep breath, relax. It's okay, keep going. There is also a seal of the beast, and this is spoken of in yesterday's chapter, Revelation 13, and today's chapter, Revelation 14. Revelation 13, 16 through 18 says, It, the beast, makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Well, continuing to Revelation 14, verse 9, it says this, Another angel, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels, in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in its image, or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Well, look, over the years, many, many, many lines of ink have been spilled talking about this mark of the beast. There are so many things theories about it that range from the mildly plausible to the patently absurd. I recall in the 80s that many were convinced that UPC codes, which are the barcodes that they scan on items that are found at the store, were somehow the mark of the beast. Others believe it will be an injectable chip or something along those lines. But the Greek word used for mark is the word karagma, uh, which it means a stamp or a mark. And it comes from a word that actually means trench. So, you know, it would seem possibly, maybe even likely, that the word contains a connotation of digging or 
engraving, or etching of some how. Now, I suppose an implantable chip, possibly with engraved circuits on its board, right? It could qualify there, but that might be a slight stretch. So what is the mark of the beast? And the answer, of course, is we don't know. Nobody knows yet. At least I don't think they do, unless the beast is already active on the earth and we're not aware of it. But I'm quite skeptical of those who claim to know exactly because the fact is we're just not given enough information in this passage to know exactly what it is. But we are given enough information to know the mark of the beast beyond a shadow of a doubt when we see it. When it is rolled out, I believe it will be very, very clear and not something that you can be like fooled into getting or duped into getting like, I don't know, some sort of injection that is given to you by deceit. Whatever else you think of the COVID vaccines, they are most certainly not the mark of the beast and only bad exegesis of these passages can get you to that conclusion. The passage we are reading seems to indicate that the mark of the beast will be received with a conscious submission to it and not ignorantly. Though here's what we know. Number one, the mark will be on the right hand or on the forehead. Number two, the mark will be economic in some ways. There will be a financial system set up where you can't buy or sell without this mark. As such, I kind of keep up with anti-fraud technology because that's sort of one way we could get to a mark of the beast, right? I could see a leader or a government attempting to make uh, money currency somehow obsolete and requiring a unique ID or payment method be somehow put onto every person. That could be a little sketchy, right? The third thing we know about the mark It will somehow tie back into the beast or Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. Those are connected and perhaps the kingdom, country, group of countries that individual is leading. Fourth, even if we see the mark coming, and hear this, this is pretty important. Even if we see the mark coming and we know it's coming and we know what it's going to be, we will not be able to prevent it. We can have boycotts, we can have blog posts, we can have podcasts that decry it. We can parade around with signs and protest, but God has ordained these events and they are not written down in the Bible for us to necessarily try and stop them from happening. We have no command to fight against the implementation of these technologies. Now, if you felt feel led, I suppose you can do so. There's no command to tell you not to do that, but the point of this passage is very simple. Do not get the mark of the beast. The point is not fight against every technology or innovation that could be the mark of the beast. Friends, God's word is going to come to pass no matter whether we protest against it or not. Bottom line, this is the important part. Don't get a mark or a chip or a tattoo or an engraving or implant or whatever it's going to be on your wrist, arm, or forehead that has anything to do with buying and selling. One final thing to discuss, and I know I've gone long today, but uh, I'm just so fired up and it's just such a fascinating section of the Bible. Maybe tomorrow will be shorter. The Enigmatic 666. What's that all about? Well, Christians over the years, as you might imagine, have discussed this issue extensively and vehemently debated its meaning. Many believe John intended the number to be used in a way as a code, and thus many use gematria, which is a way of assigning a number to and letters. Uh, it's a way of assigning numbers to letters and, and sort of a code uh, to interpret 666. Now, here's the thing about that. The problem with that approach are many, many, because John never tells us exactly how 
666 is the number of the name of the Antichrist, and he never tells us exactly what kind of code he's using there, and Christians have thus guessed for over a thousand years, dating back to at least the 200s AD, what he was thinking, and many have definitively, in their minds beyond a shadow of a doubt, declared that Nero was the beast, or Roman Catholics were the beast, or the Pope, or this or that Pope, or Mikhail Gorbachev, or Ronald Wilson Reagan, or Hitler, and so many others. They called them all the Antichrist or the beast, somehow matching their name up to 666. And here's the thing, depending on how you use uh, that number and what code you use, there can literally be thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not even millions of different names that can somehow, some way, add up to 666. And please know this. I think the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Bible, had full knowledge and understanding of that fact. And I believe when the Antichrist beast actually comes onto the scene, then it will be much, much clearer how the number 666 relates to him. In this, I wholeheartedly agree with something a Christian from around 1,500 years ago wrote, a guy named Andrew of Caesarea. He said this, again, in the 500s AD. He said, for the sober-minded, time and experience will reveal the actual significance of the number 666 and the truth of whatever has been written about it. For, For were it necessary, as some of the teachers say, that such a name be clearly known, the seer, John, would have revealed it. But the divine grace did not consent that the name of the destroyer be noted in the divine book. And we should take note of that. Well, let's read Revelation 14, and then we will close out. Thanks for bearing with us for an extra long episode. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but... No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from humanity as the first fruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And another angel, a second angel, followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And another A third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image and anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's command, commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the age is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Then another angel who had a sharp sickle came out of the temple in heaven. Yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar, and he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the vineyard of the earth, because its grapes have ripened. So the angel swung his sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth, and he threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Then the press was trampled outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horses' bridles for about 180 miles. Wow. Well, we will close out this longest of podcasts with our Bible memory passage for the month of December. It is Revelation 5.12, and it says, They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.